0: That he wants to make sure that those knuckleheads who continue to make a fuss about their theological projects and their theological distinctions at the cost of unity and intimacy and ministry, um, at the result of fear and, and frustration and discord, Paul's like, I want you to charge them to stop talking. Okay. And then in that stopping of talking, I want them to be submissive to what you're teaching. And I'm going to tell you what to remind them of. And he reminds this young elder, he says, The aim of our charge is love that issues, that comes from, that goes forth from a pure heart. And a pure heart, as we remember, is is illustrating the intention, illustrating the point, illustrating the idea that, you know, Paul's like, listen, I love you. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying. I'm doing what is right and I'm obeying the commands of Christ because that's what love does. Love obeys. You see. And people get triggered by that. No, you're teaching the law. No, I'm not. I'm teaching grace. We obey because of grace. You have to fear the Lord. He's crushed Christ for you. But love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience that we are at peace. We are content with what we are in Christ and whose we are. We are content with the theology that is taught us by the Spirit through the Scripture. We are content with knuckleheadedness in our own life. We are content with the ups and downs and the ebbs of flow or the weakness of our faith. We are content with the trials and the frustrations and the good times and the bad times and the sincere faith that we have. This is the intention. This is the point of the New Testament, honestly. That the saints of God, that the elect of God, that the redeemed of God, that the born of God, that those who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, those who know that they have a place in heaven and eternity because of Christ, those who have been given faith by the Spirit of God to trust and rest in the finished work of Jesus, to know that when He said it was finished, He did all that was required to justify us and to satisfy the wrath of God and to credit us His own righteousness before the Father of righteousness. A pure heart. Love is our charge. And so, as I step into this pulpit each week, I try really hard to be bitter. I try very hard to be cynical. Because throughout the week, it's real easy. Can't wait to get to church. I'm gonna to preach to who's not there. Yeah, you know? You ever had that conversation with yourself? You ever gone and, and sort of went in the mirror of your own mind and looked deeply and thought, I'm going to set the record straight. And you just pump yourself up for all the things you're going to say and do the next time somebody or something gets in your way or a problem becomes a problem for you. How are you going to set that ball straight? How are you going to deal with that coworker? How are you going to tell your spouse or your child the what, what? And by the mercy of Christ, By the mercy of God. Everything I desire just goes out the window when I stand here. Every frustration, every aggravation. And you should be thankful for that. We all all think Pastor James is joking when he talks about his murderous heart and his aggravation and his anger and things of that nature. You don't get to see it. Few people ever get to see it, but it's there. And there are demons who will teach you that if those things exist inside of you, if your mind is not walking around on heavenly clouds, and if your heart and your affections are not perfectly centered in Christ likeness all the time, that you are not born of God. Well, beloved, then guess what? Neither was any subject recorded in the pages of this book. When we are born again, we do not, we are not. Void of our humanity. God has not changed our depraved nature into divine nature. That is why we always, every second, every breath of every day, rest and hope and trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ to our account. Because if you and I think that we are getting better before the God of righteousness, we have lost our ever-loving minds. That if there's anything God would go... Well, 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 James. My goodness, we've gotten really good lately. There is no good list. We're all on the naughty list. The whole world is on the naughty list. But some of us are written in the book of life. And the book of life is written by the decree of God. And the names, as we saw in Isaiah this morning, of the redeemed of God are written on His hands. And God, through the natural means of the wickedness of men, pierced the hands of Jesus, the God-man. And He said, it was finished. So it's finished. So I get up here and God causes me to issue from a pure heart. Love is my charge. Love is the charge of Christ. A sincere faith. A true and divinely granted revelation of the divine work of God in the promise of the incarnate Christ. So that's what Christmas is all about, right? The coming of Jesus. Verse 4 of 1 Timothy 1. I mean, you're not allowed to turn there. I'm just reminiscing a little bit. Paul says, do not let them devote themselves to myths and genealogies and endless controversies, which promote what speculation versus rather than the stewardship that comes from God—that is by faith. So see, when we spend our time debating, thinking, talking, chewing, spitting, vomiting, recutting, what you know, reswallowing the cud of theological fodder, we are not. Doing anything but promoting speculations and philosophies. And we always have philosophies. That's what it means to think. Stewardship from God by faith. This is what God has given. What God has promised. What God has has accomplished. And so the faith is not an intellectual exercise. The faith that's granted to the saints... Has nothing to do with our study and thinking and positing. Nothing. That's why the, not to quote the the old wives of antiquity, but hell's gonna be full of theologians who were right. As one of my grandmothers used to say, they're gonna bust hell wide open. Let's hope not. But I get the sentiment. It's not an intellectual exercise unto salvation. However, there is some intellectual exercising in salvation when we learn and grow and understand things according to the context of Scripture. Nothing else. Few people have ever read as many books as I've read. That's not a brag. It's actually sad. There was a time where for four years I read a book a week. And that was just for fun. As a child, I read encyclopedias. Volume by volume by volume by volume. Oh, it's summer. Yeah, What are you going to do? World book. Y'all laugh. You binge Netflix and watch YouTube all day. Quit. They didn't, we didn't have that. We had that. That's what I'd have done. Did you know that the atomic weight of... No, I didn't know. It. I read it in the world book. The mystery of God. 1 Timothy 3, Paul writes these words. He says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of God. We're not going to deal with this text today in the way that I dealt with it, but I want to be in Romans and Galatians, but I want to lay this foundation first. Paul gives these words. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, Seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and then taken up in glory. And we spent, what, a couple of weeks in that, some months back. But everywhere we look, we look at the the New Testament, and you know, when we're out of the Gospels, when we're out of the Good Report, when we're out of the story, we get the instruction. And all the New Testament letters are instructive. They're all God through the apostles, undergirding the prophetic promises of Messiah so that the people of Christ the gathered ones the holy ones the justified ones the elect ones those who believe whatever label you want to put on what we are called so that we as the church might know more about our salvation and it might result in the praise of his manifest revelation which we call glory seeing him for who he is. In all His fullness. That's what it means to see the glory of God. To just like, behold. See, we don't use that word behold except in biblical context nowadays. And there's a reason. Because it's an antiquated word for one. It's like, behold, my new shoe. I mean, you know. Behold at the TV, son. Pay attention. Behold. No, it's it's presentation, right? When someone says behold, it's it gives this idea of this divine gaze that we're supposed to look at something that's pretty amazing. And so when we look at God and we see the amazing reality of the infinite depths of Him, we have seen His glory. And the Scripture says in John chapter 1 that that glory is Jesus Christ. That everything God could ever be seen as is seen in Jesus Christ. That the creation of the infinite universe is nothing. It's like the sneezy mist of the mist of God's sneeze. It's at the back of the shadow of the wind of the dust of his robe as he turns his back on Moses. And Moses' face starts to shine. God has come into the world. God has come into the world in human flesh. And in the same time, he did not cease to be God. We were in Philippians 2 last week. Looking at this mind of Christ, who though he was God in all respects, he did not take and brag on his equality as God, but yet he emptied himself. What does that mean? He poured himself out to be obedient as a human servant to die on a cross for the justification of his people. For the atonement of his people. To make his people one with God in righteousness. To satisfy the justice of God. All the crimes of sinfulness have been committed in the hearts of humanity. And God has a people for Himself that He is elected to save. Therefore He said, let there be light. And the world was, was drawn into being by His command. So that He could put His Son, the eternal God, in the womb of Mary that He created. That He could come into creation and pull a people out for Himself. Snatch them out of the chaotic void of darkness. And show that He is the creator of righteousness. Against the death and depths of depression. Now, that's what it called. That's why we call it a good report. That's a good report. This headline's just in, national news. I mean, could you imagine? There is no debt anywhere in the world, it's all been paid. And there's $400 million in everyone's savings account right now. What would happen? don't know. That's unfathomable. It's impossible. It can't take place. It's not going to happen. There's no way for it to function. Just like there was no way for a people to be forgiven and to be called righteous before righteousness. But God did it by sending His Son into the world. The mission of Christ was to finish the work of salvation. And the message of Christ is to reveal this mission and to express His mind in His obedience. This mystery of God, this mystery of godliness that Paul refers to, not only there, but also in other places where he writes. This truth of God the Son pouring Himself out, like I was talking about last week. The truth of God the Son purchasing Himself a people. The truth of God the Son being worshipped as God. The truth of God the Son giving Himself as a human being to the righteousness of God, to bear the wrath, the truth of worship in the heart of the believers, in the mind of the believers, and the with, with the life of us as believers to the glory of God the Son. Great indeed. Turn with me to Romans sixteen. Paul gives this doxology here in Romans sixteen. It's very frustrating for me to just pop into a verse here and there, but the reality of what I want us to leave with today in the short time we have is to be reminded of the reality of the incarnation, the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And that God has walked the earth in a human in a human body. And though He was truly and fully and absolutely in every way human, He never ceased to also be absolutely fully and eternally God. And that's supposed to make our minds go, what? And then we just go, okay, and then that's the end of it. We don't need 16 volumes of encyclopedias and theological writings to effectively and poetically chew on that. We're supposed to just eat it and absorb it and taste and see that it is good and it is God. And his absolute mystery has revealed himself by sending himself in human form, truly to satisfy his own conditions for his own covenant to save his own people. Well, but there's no greater reality than that. There is nothing better that I can tell you today. There is no instruction that I can give you that's greater than the gospel of grace. There's no counsel. No food. No financial stability. No relationships. Nothing, no cures, nothing that is greater than the gospel. And some of us in certain seasons of life, I just don't have that. I just don't see the greatness. I know that it's great, but I don't feel it. Well, that's the problem. We're looking to feel rather than to know. And God granted faith is not about how we feel about what God has done, it's that we know what He's done. This gospel is the point of the world, it's the point of creation. This gospel is the point of God's revelation. Now to Him, Paul says, Romans 16, verse 25. Sorry, I'm not doing the whole chapter. Verse 25. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according, I love Paul's words here, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret For long ages. But has now been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. According to the command of the eternal God. To bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So it is. Amen. Amen. This gospel. This good report, this teaching, this understanding, this apprehension, this work of God to create the world and create all the peoples and to put everything in place and to purpose all things. Even when a bird flies somewhere, it is in the sovereignty of God. This gospel is our strength, beloved. Jesus Christ coming to the earth is our strength. And it's preaching and teaching and proclamation is how that strength is continued to be strengthened. You notice Paul makes personal this gospel. He says, my gospel. And he's not saying this is my gospel. He's not saying this is my interpretation. He's not saying this is my education. He's not saying this is my expertise. He's not saying this is what I say. He's saying this is mine. It belongs to me. This is for me. This is my Jesus. This is my Savior. This is my incarnate God. He died in my place. He lives for me. This is possessive. This is inclusive. So the proclamation of this gospel, Paul, it's personal. Paul's not a theologian to tout his education. Paul says his education was all for naught. Loss. consider it nothing for the priceless gain of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. The gospel is our strength and we hear it and we know it and we can think about it any given moment. But beloved, let me tell you one of the greatest realities of our Poor, sad lives is that when we are not hearing the written word and sharing with the saints the reality of what is therein, what what, what is written therein, we are devoid spiritual thoughts. And we may think we are having spiritual thoughts when we are on our coffee table, coffee talk, table talk, you know, doctrinal things. Or we may think that we're having spiritual talk when we're really putting our x-ray vision on and going, "Mm mm-hmm, I see how y'all living. And we're really digging our nosy, busybody, baloney, garbage eyes into each other's lives trying to peel apart who's spiritual, who's not because somewhere in the middle of the night God crowned us Jesus Jr. It's not the case. That's not spiritual at all. That's not walking by the Spirit. When we walk by the Spirit, we walk in a contentness, a contentedness with contentment. I don't know what firm to put that. There we go. We have contentment in our soul that we are secure in the righteousness of God in Christ and we are objects. We are recipients of grace. And so when we are when that is manifested to us through the hearing of the Word and the focus of our gospel we're not concerned about the dots and the crosses and everything else of the lives of others. We're concerned in how can we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of other people's joy. See that's gospel living and that's the only thing God has called us to. I will not say what just popped into my head. God has not called most people to do what they're doing in regards to the truth. Because it disavows the very simple instruction of intimacy, focus, and worship. His gospel is our strength. Now, to him who is able. What is this gospel? Is it just the preaching? No, it is Jesus Christ. See, this is a supernatural reality But it has practical implication. Supernatural reality of what God has done, but He practically came into the world as a human being. Righteousness for humanity is only obtainable when the perfect human sacrifices himself in place of the imperfect. Paul says this is a mystery. It's been revealed. You know, I can walk up and... My grandson's at the age now where I can make something vanish and he looks all through my hand as if he's just like seeing if I could stick that screwdriver way down between, them. like He's just amazed. He looks up at me, he looks again, he picks up the other hand, looks in the front, looks on the back. And he's almost at the age where I can walk up to him. I don't know when it is, but maybe in the next few months. I can walk up to a kid and be like... And they, they saw you had nothing, but you close your hands, there's something in there now. See, they're philosophy majors before they even can speak. Is there something in there? Yes. And no. At the same time. Is the cat dead? Or alive? I mean, you get it. I love it. And it's so awesome because when you open your hands and there's nothing there, it's like, Mr. Reveal, what's in your hand? Nothing. Oh, it's so exciting. Nothing. You ever been excited over nothing? Kids are excited over nothing. So they turn about 12 and they're like, there's not a dollar? Or only a dollar? But then there are other things that are mysterious. We we want to know, don't we? That's why people buy tabloids. It's a mystery. What are the rich elite doing? Wishing you weren't reading about their nonsense. (laughs) What's happening in the palace? What's happening in the White House? What's going on in Hollywood? I don't know. Do you, do you really care? But it's mystery. We're drawn to this mystery. A mystery is an unknown. The gospel was an unknown. It was prophesied. It was expressed. It was proclaimed. But the reality of it was unknown. And Paul says it has been revealed when Christ was born. And it was revealed to shepherds. I like to watch the paintings of Renaissance eras and, and, and amazing. Amazing talent. But they're also clean and white. You know? I mean people that love me wasn't weren't shepherding sheep in Palestine two thousand years ago. <laughs> this didn't happen. They didn't wear nice clean clothes and have manicured faces, you know, chiseled. I mean I've been to the barbershop, these chiseled beards and curly mustache. They're worshiping Jesus. He's clean, he's glowing a little bit, born in a microwave, I don't know. That's not what it was like. It was, it was a subpar experience with subpar people. And I would some things that I think Brother Mike and I were talking about, some ideas we'll talk about later, the interesting things about sheep and their birthplace and things of like that. But shepherds are nobody. Shepherds are like, ugh. Like, you know, we all want the plumber, but we don't want him hanging around. Yeah, I just unclogged your pooper. Mind if I sit for a spell? Now, how about you go away? Let me pay you. How about you don't come in my house with those boots, okay? How about you go away? Can you move your truck with a big fake turd on the back of it? I've got company coming over. Yeah. The Turdinator. I mean, you could you see it. There's your business model. <laughs> Where does this stuff come from? What's I talking about? Oh yeah, Jesus. Shepherds. They're filthy people, but this is the revelation of God. He expresses in the fields to filthy people that society is like. We can't have these folks in town, and they get to witness the birth of Christ. Filthy people. Why? Because Jesus came for filthy people. Jesus came for people who were hated. Jesus came for people who were sinful. Jesus came for people who were dead. Jesus came for the sick. People who don't need cleaning have no place with Him. This mystery is the revelation of God's promise. I want to clean my people. I'm going to make righteous my sinful people. I'm going to resurrect my dead people. I'm going to give life to these sinners. I'm going to bring to me those who are orphans. Those who have spit in my face. Those who have abandoned my promises. Those who have run from me and squandered my wealth and eat from the hog pens. No, he couldn't eat from the hog pens because he would have been stealing. Remember that? He wanted to eat the hog's lot, and Christ came to reveal Himself to these people. The very idea of washing someone's feet—there's a lot of foot washing goes on in my house. Not uh, service wives like, "Hey, go wash those feet." We call them piggly wiggly feet, mine. If you don't know that, you know, the old grocery store, win Dixie feet for those people. People walk around barefooted in the grocery store and then their feet are filthy on the bottom. Don't go to bed with the pigmy wiggly feet. Wash them. You wash feet. You wash feet in cultures, in Palestinian cultures. You wash feet. I've had meals in many Afghan homes through the years. And they don't have tables, you don't sit at tables, you sit on the floor, and the food is laid on a rug, and you sit, depending on your flexibility, either way, you sit, but your feet are there. And the dude to your left, his feet are next to your food, and your feet are next to his food. You want them clean. You see? So washing feet in the first century was a custom for necessity. So you didn't die from disease. See, God had taught his people long before Louis Pasteur understood some things. To wash your hands and feet before you put stuff in your mouth. And you won't die from something stupid. Don't eat these types of animals because you can't clean them enough. It wasn't that these animals were bad. It's that they didn't need to get sick in their nomadic Process of traveling in millions across the world. It's not about what's good; it's about what's clean. And the picture of that, Jesus gets into this place where he's going to take off his clothes, tie a towel around his waist, and he's going to do that which a Jewish servant was prohibited by law to do—a Jewish slave, even a Jewish criminal could not wash feet. It was so menial that Israel would not even let their criminals wash feet. So here's the rabbi, the master, washing feet. Peter wasn't going to have anything to do with it. No, 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 no. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus says something sort of like this. Well, if I don't wash you, you have no place with me. You're not sitting with me and eating with me With your nasty feet. And Peter gets it right. But doesn't understand the revelation. He says, well then, by all means, wash my hands. Wash my head. Wash my body. You know, head and shoulders, knees and toes. Wash it all. I'm ready. Let's do it. Just wash me. And then Jesus, what? Does he tell him? I'm going to wash y'all out when I die. Oh, you ain't got to die. The revelation. This mystery is God's promise revealed in Christ. The promise is clearly told by Scripture. The revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Verse 26 of Romans 16, but now has been disclosed by the prophets through the prophetic writings and have been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the wise and only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. See, the mission of God and the purpose of of God is redemption. Jesus' mission was to fulfill the purpose of God and the redemption of his people. All nations, all tongues, all tribes. Not each and every person, but his people of all nations and all tongues and all tribes. And this is done by the commandment of God for the sake of the obedience of faith. To believe and to trust in his promises to the praise of his glory and his glorious grace. This is the point of the world. So when we think about the holiday of Christmas and all the silly implications of all the seasons of life and we get upset about it and we love it and then we don't like it and then we do like it and then we hate the commercialization of it and we forget that it's all about Jesus and all that. I mean, because we've all been there depending on what age our children are. When they're needy and selfish and their Christmas lists are long, they're like, this is about Jesus. No more Christmas. You know, we get around these really, ah, oh, these really, you know, just this really somber and just incredibly godly people in there. Oh, you have put a tree in your house with lights. Hey. Okay. Like, oh, crap, take the tree down. It's like one comedian said, it is like the antics of a drunk man. Let's take this tree from outside, put it inside, take the lights from outside, put them outside. I mean, you know, woo, it's upside down day. It's crazy. But it doesn't matter why we do what we do and what the festival means. The Scripture gives us liberty to celebrate anything. You know the roots of an offering plate? You don't want to know. You don't want to know. You know the roots of this or that? Man, there's there's some type of pagan root with everything we do because we come through antiquity history creates the cultural norms that we live in and it's like cutting the ham the butt off the ham because the pot was too short we didn't know why if we're going to devoid ourselves of anything that is tied to anything pagan we have to devoid ourselves of anything that's tied to anything human folks the Bible doesn't give us that burden So I say let's celebrate the whole world turning to the idea of the word Christmas and then forgetting that it had anything to do with Christ. It's funny. It's funny. It's okay to have a festival and then also keep a purpose. But that purpose is not for today. That purpose is for every day for the church. The coming of Christ is the mission and the point of the world. The point of the world is the revelation of God. Indeed, we confess the mystery of Godliness. Turn to Galatians, chapter 4. I mean, the work of Christ has procured a people for Himself in justice and righteousness. This is, uh, I'm just using this text just to prove the point. We probably should go to chapter 3, but let me look. Chapter 4, verse 7 verses. Paul's just told these people, this is the first letter Paul wrote, by the way, which is why he's a little more agitated, because he taught, He taught the people the region of Galatia, it's so region, it's not a city, he taught the people of, of Galatia the gospel, the proclamation, the power, to be strengthened by grace, that, that God in His mercy has established salvation through the death of His Son, Proven and vindicated by the resurrection of His Son and the promise of His Son to return. He was raised in ascension to the right hand of the Father where He intercedes on behalf of His people. We see Hebrews. We understand all of that. And Paul's given the contrast. The point of the law is to kill, convict, to indict, convict, and kill humanity. So that again... The point of the law is to indict, convict, and to kill humanity. And that's just. It's righteous. It's loving. It's good. So, those born under the law are dead already. Those who are sitting under the righteousness of God on their own merits are done. And so, Paul begins to teach, and he's like, Listen, there's this guardian, there's this teaching, there's this law, and we're dead. And everybody's dead to it. And so, verse 4, I mean, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I mean, that the heir, he's talking about the two sons of, the two sons, Ishmael and the other one that everybody knows. The daughter, I mean, the son of Hagar the son of Sarah. He said they're both sons. They're both born from Abraham, but one is the son of promise. The other is not. So the point is, it matters according to the promise. It doesn't matter according to the biology. John chapter 1. It doesn't matter who your daddy is. It matters what God has said about you. It matters what God has promised. It matters what God has accomplished. It matters what He has succeeded in so Paul starts I mean that the heir and he's talking about being Christ heir you're not an heir to God you're not God's people just because you're born of Abraham you're only God's people because you belong to Christ if you are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise so he says I mean that the heir as long as that he is a child is no different than a slave think about this for a second though he is the owner of everything so our children own everything we own, but yet they're not old enough, nor are we dead enough for them to take possession of it. But he's under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So even in the context of a child dies early, he has a steward. He has he has an estate. He has an executor. he Has somebody, and if there is nobody, it'll be the it'll be the state to oversee until that child becomes legally of age to own the property. To own that. So in the same way, verse 3 of Galatians 4. When we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, the Son of promise, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So we, we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying. And I'm going to translate this to something we understand. Papa. Dad, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now what's the context here? These people had learned the gospel. They knew the truth. God the Spirit had granted them trusting, hoping, resting faith in the finished work of Christ. And then along come the spider. Sat down beside her. And opened up the circumcision box and everybody was scared. Along came the Judaizers and they said, hey you got the gospel. This is good. Good news, good news, good news. Better news though is this. If you're not obeying the laws, you're probably not in Christ. Sound familiar? Yes, it's the false gospel. It's the, it's an, every false gospel in the world is an iteration of the Galatians. In our conference on January 7th, one of the brothers that's coming is going to deal specifically with this issue in Galatians. I pray you come and learn different viewpoints on how we need to understand what the culture has just sort of dumbly accepted as gospel truth. Circumcision is not effectual. Circumcision does nothing. Paul makes that very clear. It doesn't matter. But yet, even in the United States of America, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, good Christian people circumcise their sons. Certainly. Circles. Isn't that something? So Paul's like, why are you going to be a slave to the law? This was a sign of a covenant. It was a radical sign of the mutilation of the flesh. It was for mutilation. Did it have a outcome that we might understand medically or scientifically? Maybe. The point of it in the scripture was to be a sign. I mean, a sign. Could you imagine going into the temple? Hey, can you come in here? Let me see your pass. And he had to flash. I mean, that's how they checked. Where's your name badge? Can you worship in here? I don't know. Let's check and see. I mean, that's something else, isn't it? That's a prison sentence in today's time. I'm just showing my name badge. So Paul's saying, look, it doesn't do this. This promise of God is the gospel. This, This issue of grace. See, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and taken on humanity and he has not ceased to be God and he has these two natures simultaneously and he keeps them both today. And him being sent into the world through the Virgin, Mary, was not his begin, was not his start of his existence. Some people think that. It's logical. Oh, Jesus didn't exist, and now He does, and now He's God. I mean, I had somebody argue with me one time years ago that Jesus was just born, and then God dwelt Him, like possessed Him, and then changed Him at the, uh, after the resurrection. No, that's not what the Bible, that's interesting. It's very creative, and honestly, it's a little logical. But it's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God, the Son Himself, came into human flesh. And He keeps that human flesh today. He is always and forevermore The God man, but the flesh he has now is a glorified flesh, not the flesh that we have. What is that like? I don't know. That appendix uh, was pulled out from between the map of Palestine and Babylon. Don't have it. In John chapter 1, the Lord makes it very clear through the Gospel writer, through the evangelist, that he was in the, that he was the Word, with the Word, and was with God, and was God, and He was in the beginning. And that all things that exist were made through Him. Through what? The Son of God, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, the same thing. Colossians chapter 1, the same thing. The fullness of deity dwelt bodily in Christ Jesus. We have seen God's glory. No one has ever seen the invisible God, the mystery of God. No one has ever been able to put their eyes on God. But when God became man, we see the fullness of everything that He is. Not just in His stature and His being and His essence. But we get to see Him in His mind and His mission and His message. We get to know Him in that way. He was born of a virgin by the Spirit of God into the world for His purpose and for His purpose. Praise. And so God finished the work of redemption. The birth of Christ is about God's divine mission of redemption. And all of these things, inclusive the gospel, we can call the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 3 comes to mind in there. Because without the coming of Christ, we find ourselves, that's what I wanted to do, we find ourselves over in Galatians Street don't In verse 7, in Galatians 3, Paul writes this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. I referred to it a minute ago. I thought it was in 4. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying... Now listen to that. Paul, by the by the mouth of God, by the divine spirit giving him these words, says that God preached the gospel... To Abraham. The gospel of Christ to Abraham. In you shall all the nations be blessed. And that's the truncated version of what Paul is referring to. Of course, he's referring to the promise and the covenant. What is the good news? The promises of God. Well, I don't want to get into this. Well, you know, that's not sufficient for salvation. Yes, it is. God's promised salvation is sufficient for salvation. Remember what I said. Faith unto salvation. And even that phrase is problematic if you think I'm, if you hear me wrong. It's not an academic or cognitive exercise. It's a divine work that then brings understanding. Understanding doesn't bring life. Life brings understanding. Believing the tenets and the precepts of a proposition doesn't cause you to be born again. Being born again allows you by the Spirit at the ability that God's granted you to be able to understand the truth of the Gospel. And to grow and understand election and understand grace and understand justification as you're able, according to the writing of Scripture. But Paul says these words, so then... Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. They're approved of God. They receive what God has promised along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So I can be very dogmatic and staunchly biopic when it comes to the purposes of the law. I don't care what historical theologians have done to... Exercise their three uses. I don't care about that expression. I care about the expression of what Paul, therefore what Christ is saying concerning the law and the law's purpose is to indict and to convict and to condemn sinners. Period. Now it is evident that no one on what Paul just said and I just reiterated in my own words verse 11 of Galatians 3 now it is evident that no one is justified how? before God by the law by obedience by doing well by doing good by striving by trying by changing their heart nor does the Bible teach that God changes us and presents us into Him before Himself in some way that's even better than we were before What greater sin is there than the sin of self-righteousness? Jesus says, according to the New Testament gospel narratives, that those self-righteous people are the ones who should wish they'd never been born. Because they cause fear and horror and terror and trouble and trials and burdens and they make Christians, they make the sheep of God walk around worried that they're not doing it right and they're not going, oh, you're antinomian. No, I'm not. We exercise church discipline and we teach the truth according to the counsel of Christ, but we are not going to conflate God's redemptive work in the sending of the Son into the world to save His people with the outcome of what is blessed, what is prudent, what is beneficial for us as His people. You do not have to eat in order to be alive. But buddy, you are not going to live well. If you don't eat long enough, you will die. You should be malnourished. The, righteousness shall, the righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? Trusting, resting, hoping, at peace with God through Jesus Christ Himself. The law is not of faith. Rather, the one, quote, the one who does them shall live by them. Our hope and our assurance in the coming of Christ is in our response, in our doing, in our obedience, in our motivation, in our maturity that we have misplaced our hope And that's what happened in Galatia. They were fine. They were at peace. And folks just like Pelagius, if you know your church history, came along and said, you boys and girls aren't living right. One thing you need to do to get started is start circumcising each other. You need to start doing this. You need to start doing that. You need to start doing the other. Goodness, let's just all wear the silver suit. Call it the Jesus foil be done with the law is not a faith but the one who does them shall live by them so when we live by them and we're not fulfilling them we're going to die by them verse 13 christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us this is why he was born into the world for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree So that in Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In other words, we know and trust that God has given us his spirit. We call him Papa because it is innate. Because we've been given and shown the reality of the incarnate son. So here we are. At this day, looking at the mission of Christ. And this mission of Christ is to wash the feet of His people. The mission of Christ is to cleanse us and to wash us. How did He do it? Through the breaking of His body and the shedding of His blood, He washed us before His Father. And that's why we take the Lord's table every week. To remind us of the time when Jesus shared the same good report with His disciples, and they just still couldn't quite get it until the deed was done. But He secured them. He preserved them. He even told Peter, we saw last week, Satan asked to sift you. What did Jesus do? He interceded. He prayed for Peter that his faith may prevail. You're going to You're going to deny me, Peter? Never. You're going to deny me, Peter. You're going to deny me. I'm God. I know a little bit. And when it's all said and done, you're going to come back to me. It's not about your zeal, Peter. It's not about your affection, John. It's not about your money. It's not about your ability. It's not about your influence. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. He's saying, it's all about me. I've done the work. I've got it. I've got you. I've bought you. And there's nothing that can take you away from me. Even yourself. You will not escape me, Jonah. And you can be bitter all you want, but in the end, your bitterness will be turned to joy. you will see me, who I am. And I will eat with you because your feet will be clean. You can sit with me at the table of the divine my wedding. And we'll all be clean. And the sea of glass is a symbol of peace. And sometimes I like to say it's a symbol of cleanliness. No one has to wash anything. Hallelujah. Because we're righteous before the Father now. And one day, our bodies will be made likewise. So celebrate Christmas from that point today. Let's pray. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to worship and For the word that you've given us and for the joy that has come into the world, Jesus Christ, your son. And I thank you so much, Lord, that you've provided a sacrifice for yourself and your son, Jesus. Lord, from my studies and all of the years of knowing and thinking through these things, (coughs) this teaching today, Lord, has led my head into four and five hours of amazing and important things. May this coming year be a time of learning. Celebration and worship for us as a a family. A family of faith. Help us to grow closer to one another in truth. Closer to one another in spirit. Help us to pray for one another and to serve one another. and, and, And to do not the way the world teaches us and makes us feel pressured and burdened. But Lord, as your word has taught us. To celebrate Christ together. To have good times together. To be there for one another as we've been equipped. As the grace that You've given us that saves us also equips us to be ministers to one another as You've called us. So Lord, we thank You for family. For the family of faith. We thank You for the family of life. That those people that we call our blood kin. Some of which do not know the Gospel. Some of which do not care. But Father, Your will be done. You will call those... You have given to Your Son to truth. Let us be the heralders of that truth as You've called us to. We thank You for it. In Christ's name, we thank You for Him. Amen.